0: Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 5. Around half past midnight, David parked in front of Naya's house. Want to take a walk? Naya said. I'm not ready to go in yet. Sure. But you know. People in Atlanta don't walk around the neighborhood at this hour. Let go of that big city paranoia, sweetie, she said. She pinched his cheek. It's safe here. They climbed out of the truck. David glanced at the front windows of her house. A curtain dropped as the sun was spying on them and didn't want to be seen. Your mother, huh? He said. She's up late. Oh, yeah. Mama won't go to bed until I come in. That's how she is. Are you and your mother close? We are, Naya said. Perhaps too close. I love Mama, but she could be overprotective. She's always been like that with me, her only girl. And what happened in Houston only makes her worry more. They took each other's hand. It felt like a natural gesture they had been doing for years, and strolled along the sidewalk. The neighborhood was quiet and peaceful. Lights shone in the windows of many homes, but almost as many other houses were dark. Cicadas, crickets, and other night creatures sang their timeless songs. A balmy breeze rifled the trees. Have you mentioned anything to your mother about me? he said. Are you kidding? Naya said. She tied me to a chair to keep me from leaving unless I told her who you were. What did she say? You don't want to know. Why? Let's just say mama knew your father's reputation for being a player back in the day. In her opinion, the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. I'm putting it more nicely than she did. Great, so your mother doesn't trust me. Don't worry, I'll take care of it. You just be your normal sweet self. Ahead, there was a small playground with swings, a slide, monkey bars, and a couple wooden benches. Nia sat on the bench and pulled him down beside her. A street lamp cast golden light over them. They turned to face one another. David could feel the desire building between them. He stroked the back of her neck. She put her salt hand against his cheek. They kissed, lightly at first, then more deeply. Do you realize, she said, that we spent almost the entire day together? And the day has passed way too quickly, he said, and kissed her again. Moaning softly, she ran her fingers through his short hair. She shifted her body to mesh into his. He placed his hand on her thigh, stroked her smooth skin. She felt so good against him that he never wanted to move. The scent of her perfume enveloped him like a sweet fog. What a fine, fine woman. Feminine and sexy, yet independent and strong, a perfect blend of every quality he had ever dreamed of finding in a woman. If Nia was a drink, he would have drunk himself into a stupor. He didn't know how long they kissed. Time stood motionless, their lips and tongues flowed together. But at some point, when his eyes were open for an instant, he glimpsed the mason place in the distance, between the tree branches. Light glowed faintly at the windows. His stomach heaved, as though he had swallowed something sour. Reluctantly, he broke off their kiss. What's wrong, she said. You look like you've bitten into a rotten apple. That house, he pointed behind her. Something about it really bothers me. Frowning, she looked over her shoulder. The mason place? I get a bad feeling every time I look at it. A feeling that something isn't quite right there. Her voice lowered. It's supposed to be haunted. Did you know that? I've heard. Someone just moved in there, too. What? Who? I don't know who, but when Chief Jackson stopped by, he said someone had moved into the place. He didn't say much else about it. What do you know about the house? Only the basics. I know that the man who founded the town, Ed Mason, ran his plantation from there. He was known for being cruel to his slaves. Around the time of the Civil War, his slaves revolted and killed him. They hung him from a tree. But many of the slaves who took part in the insurrection were then killed by the authorities. A lot of bloodshed happened up there. What about these tales of the house being haunted? She smiled, but it was a nervous smile. Are you sure you want to hear this? Definitely, now that you got me curious. Okay, she said. She drew a breath. My brothers and I went up there once. I was nine, I think. They would have been eleven and thirteen. Like I told you earlier, the three of us were always in the stuff we had no business doing. We got the bright idea in our heads that we'd see if the Mason place was really haunted. We rode our bikes up there one summer afternoon. Eric, the eldest, led the way. I was in the middle, and Robert brought up the rear. We left our bikes to the gate, then climbed the fence. There were many tall, old trees up there, throwing deep shadows everywhere. And it was so still, too, like the quiet before a storm. We walked down the path to the mansion. We were a bunch so closely together, I'm surprised we didn't stumble over one another's shoes. We decided that we were just going to go look in a window, but we had to get close to do it. We had to go onto the veranda. We climbed the steps and walked across the veranda, trying to keep from tripping on all the vines that covered everything. We went up to one of the front windows. it was covered with dirt, so Eric cleaned a spot with his shirt. Then we looked inside. What did you see? David said. Although she was telling the story, his own heart hammered. We saw a gray-haired white man dressed in a black suit. He sat in a rocking chair in the living room. I could see every detail about him. It was Edward Mason. For real. I recognized him from pictures. His face was bluish and his eyes bulged. He looked like someone who had been cut from the noose after he had been hanging for a while. He turned and looked right at us. I think all of our hearts froze. We were paralyzed. The man rose up out of that chair, floated out of the chair really, and started to come towards us. He levitated through the air, walking, but his feet weren't touching the floor. We snapped out of our daze and ran away from the house, screaming. I was as fast as my brothers, and I don't ever remember running so fast. But we were bolting across the yard, and there were people watching us from shadows under the trees. Black people dressed in work clothes, like slaves on a plantation. I couldn't see them clearly. They flickered, sort of, like images cast by a film projector. But they were there. All of us saw them. My brothers and I hurtled that fence like it was only two feet high instead of six. Got on our bikes and zoomed away from there. I've never been back since. And I never will if I can help it. Finished speaking, she hugged herself. He put his arm around her, drew her closer. He didn't need to ask her whether, in hindsight, she believed the incident had truly happened or was only the creation of a child's overactive imagination. Her reactions in recounting the story made it clear that she believed what she had seen. Even nearly two decades afterwards. He had no choice but to accept the reality of her experience, although accepting the existence of ghosts was a stretch for him. But I can't deny the feeling I get in the pit of my stomach when I look at that house. I need to stop asking so many questions, he said. You ever heard that line, don't ask a question if you aren't prepared for the answer? I wasn't ready for your answer. I've never shared that story with anyone, she said. I don't think my brothers have either. After it happened, we never talked about it. I appreciate you sharing it with me, but I doubt that I'll bring it up again anytime soon. Learn to do what I do, David. Don't look at the mason place. You'll feel better. They rose from the bench and began to walk back to her house. She wrapped her arm around his waist and nestled her head against his shoulder. He held her protectively within the span of his arm. When they reached the narrow walk that led to her front door, they faced each other, hands clasped together. I want to see you tomorrow, he said. Under normal circumstances, he'd never ask a woman out two days in a row. But nothing about their situation seemed normal to him. This was one of those rare times when all of the standard rules of dating were worthless. I was hoping you'd say that, she said. I want to see you too. I'm going to the church in the morning, New Life Baptist. How about you join me? Oh, David, I would, but I have to meet a client tomorrow morning for a really big project. She tapped her lip. How does dinner sound? I'll cook. Do you like lasagna? I love it. See, you can cook too? I'm superwoman, baby. Didn't you know that? He laughed. What time? Around three, she said. We'll have dinner at my place, okay? I'm there. He looked towards the house. A silhouetted shape waited behind the window. I guess I'll meet your mother, too. Don't worry, David. She'll like you. She better, because I like you. They melted into each other's arms and shared a fiery kiss. We better quit, he said. Your mother's going to come out here and beat me off you with a broom. I'm a grown woman, sweetheart. Mama might make a comment, but that doesn't mean I have to listen to her. Her tongue darted across his neck. Then she bit his tender flesh there, lightly, and a shiver of pleasure rippled through him. Naya, Naya, Naya. He pulled her within his arms. Who would have thought a walk in the park? I know, she said, her head buried against his chest. I know. They kissed again, and then she went inside, waving before she closed the door. Without her presence, the night was dull. He realized how tired he was. He had been floating on an adrenaline high while in Naya's company, and in her absence, fatigue hit him. But he wasn't too tired to remember to avoid looking at Jubilee as he drove home. Naya's mother was waiting for Naya when she came inside. I thought I was going to have to come out there and separate you two, Mama said. It's not proper for a young woman to be kissing and carrying on outdoors where everybody can see. Naya dropped her purse on an end table and sighed. She had hoped to make it to her bedroom with fielding only a minimum number of questions and comments about David. Thinking that her mother would be too tired for such conversation. But one look at Mama swept away those hopes. Sitting on the couch, Mama was wrapped in a green house robe and slippers. She had rollers in her hair and a mug of coffee at her side. A crossword puzzle and a pencil lay across her lap, and she was wearing her glasses. Mama's eyes were alert, ready to probe. I wish she'd get a life, Naya thought. Her mother had never remarried after Naya's father died 20 years ago deciding to focus her energies on raising her three children. Nia and her brothers all graduated from college and established successful lives. But the downside of them growing up was that Mama hadn't had anything to occupy her time, outside of work and church. When Naya moved back in, however, Mama regressed in a serious mothering mode. Mama, please, Naya said. I'm tired. Don't Mama please me, Miss Naya James. You know better. Did you lose all your good sense while you were living at evil, immoral city? In her mother's opinion, any city with a population greater than 20,000, in other words, most cities in the world, deserve two labels evil and immoral. But Mama had never lived outside of Mason's Corner. Her distasteful opinion of cities was formed by the unending series of sensational TV news and cop shows that she consumed for hours a day. Programs that exhibited crime, filth, immorality, and everything else that Mama found worthy of loathing. I'm 27, Naya said. Not 17. I know how old you are, young lady. You're old enough to know better. I can see this hunter boy is going to be a bad influence on you. But considering his father, I would have expected nothing less. Naya folded her arms across her chest. David's a nice guy. You can't condemn him because of his father. Like father, like son, Mama said, with the familiar Mama Knows Best tone that always set Naya's nerves on edge. You don't know anything about this boy. You've known him for one day and already you swooning over him. No, I'm not. We went to lunch and dinner. We had a good time. It's not like I'm having this baby. Not yet, Mama said. The way that you and him were carrying on outside? It won't be long before you'll be announcing that you're pregnant. And he'll leave you then. Yes, he will. Like his father left his mother. The fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. Why do you keep bringing David's father into this? Naya said. They are two completely different people. The man was a whore, Mama said. And a moral, whorish man who used his fan to manipulate women. Like you? The words spilled out of Naya. Her mother's face darkened. That's none of your business. So why are you in my business? Her mother spread her arms. Because you don't know any better, Naya. Look what happened in Houston. Okay, I'm going to bed, Naya said. She spun and marched down the hall towards her bedroom. I'm only trying to help you, Mama pleaded. Naya rushed inside the room, slammed the door. She dropped onto the bed. Heart pounding, she stared at the ceiling. She felt as though she was in high school again. This was crazy. What had she been thinking when she accepted Mama's invitation to move back home? When she told David that she and her mother were close, she was telling the truth. But she had gotten along much better with Mama when she lived in Houston. I have to get out of here, she thought. Mama's going to drive me nuts. But where would she go? Atlanta? Charlotte? She had plenty of friends in both cities, which would help ease the transition. But what if she moved away from home and something bad happened again, like it had in Houston? Her friends couldn't save her from that. Mason's Corner was dull, but safe. She was one of the town's golden girls. Everyone respected her, admired her, looked out for her. Respect, admiration, and neighborly concerns were tough to come by in a big city. One of the worst after effects of her stalking experience was her damaged self-confidence. She used to possess an adventurous, easy-going spirit. Not anymore. Although it had been over a year since the madman had terrorized her, he visited her when she slept, his leering face creeping into her dreams with upsetting frequency. Sometimes, she took sleeping pills to achieve a peaceful rest. Considering how deeply Morgan had shaken her, it surprised her how quickly and willingly she had opened up to David. A distrust of men had kept her on guard. But David was different. He was special, no matter what Mama had said about his father. I will not let Mama ruin this for me, Naya thought. She will have to get with the program. Before she turned in for the night, she checked on her mother. Mama was finishing a crossword puzzle. I invited David to dinner tomorrow, Naya said. I'm cooking. I want you to meet him, Mama. Hmm. I'll meet him, Mama said. I'll give you my opinion, too. One of us has to show some good sense in this house. Naya let the comment pass. She kissed her mother on the cheek and went to bed. She slept without nightmares. Junior had never worked so hard in his life. For over four grueling hours, Junior and Andre plunged the shovels into the earthen wall. The dirt was hard and packed tight. At times, it was like trying to dig in a concrete. Junior had a strong, work toughened body, but he thought his muscles would be plenty sore come tomorrow morning. Mahmoud did not help them. He walked around, occasionally pointing out an area in which he wanted them to dig. Sometimes, he tinkered with the equipment that lay nearby. Mamu did not allow them to take a break for any longer than a minute or two, which was hard for Andre. Andre hardly ever worked outdoors, and he smoked all the time, so he kept breathing hard and taking a long time to lift the shovels. During one of their breaks, Andre complained that he was thirsty, and Mamou tossed in bottles of water and went back to fiddling with the equipment. When Mamu was out of earshot, Andre leaned close to Junior. I bet we digging for treasure, cuz. Huh? Junior took measured sips of the water knowing from past experience that drinking too quickly would give him muscle cramps What kind of treasure? Gold, jewelry, something like that, man Andre nodded towards Mamu Look at this operation, cuz That cat's gonna blow a hole to get in this cave when we done digging You don't have to go through all this trouble unless you're gonna get some loot You think so? "'Junior said. He turned over the idea in his mind. Gold. "'It made sense. No wonder Mamu could afford to pay them so much money. "'It was nothing for him to pay them $500 if they were going to help him dig up a treasure chest of gold. "'I bet that Ed Mason cat buried some stuff in here.' "'Andre tapped the side of the cave with a shovel. "'He was rich, man. Rich folks always hide money and shit. "'Heck, you might be right, Andre.' I never thought about that. Andre winked. Watch and see, cuz. If we can stay around long enough, maybe we can lay our hands on something when French boy ain't looking. Gentlemen, please resume working, Mamou said. Andre smiled at Junior, his gold tooth glimmering. They went back to work. Junior couldn't get Andre's idea out of his head. As he slammed the shovel into the ground... He stayed on the lookout for anything that sparkled in the dirt. It wouldn't do for him to hit gold and miss it. After they had been digging for another half hour, they hit a wall of solid rock. Yo, man, Andres said to Mamu, we can't dig no more. We done hit some rock. Excellent, Mamu said. He had taken off his suit jacket and rolled up the sleeves of his fancy white shirt. He wore a yellow hard hat, goggles, and gloves. Gentlemen, stand back. At least ten feet. I'll begin micro-shaving. Huh? Andre said, but he moved away, and so did Junior. The French guy looked like he knew what he was doing. Using a hammer drill, he bore a hole into the rock. He stuck a long soda straw in the gap, a thin wire trailing from the tube to the small device he held in his hand. Then he stepped backward several feet and pressed a button on the handheld gadget. The stones broke apart with a loud crack. Ain't that something, Junior said. Load the crushed rocks into the buckets, Mamu said crisply. They did as he ordered. After they had cleared away the crumbled stones, he commanded them to stand back again. He set about drilling another hole so he could blow up more rock. As Junior watched, he became aware of another presence nearby. He turned looked in the darkness beyond the circle of light. A tall, slender man dressed in black stepped out of the shadows. He was dark-skinned, like Junior, but he was a couple inches taller than Junior, who stood 6'3". The man wore a black shirt, black slacks, and shiny black boots with silver buckles. Junior's first thought was that the guy was some kind of star. He acted cool and in control. When he walked, he seemed to glide, It was weird. The man floated past Junior and Andre, saying nothing to either of them, only nodding. He approached Mamou, and he and the Frenchman spoke too softly for Junior to understand what they were saying. But it was plain that the man in black was the one in charge. Mamou looked like a servant. When they finished chatting, Mamou stood back and exploded another rock. Junior realized that the guy in black had vanished. One second, he was standing beside Mamu. The next, he was gone. Junior had never looked away from the men. He had only blinked. The man had disappeared, literally, in the blink of an eye. No one could move that fast. It was impossible. Coldness seeped into Junior's bones. And this cave digging, that scared him too. All of it was too strange and scary. Who were these people? And what was in that cave? His cousin's eyes were as wide as hubcaps. "'Where'd that man go?' Junior whispered. "'I feel like something bad's going on, Andre.' "'I'm ready to get out of here, cuz,' Andre said. "'I don't know if I want that gold no mo. "'Ain't no gold,' Junior said, and he could tell that Andre believed him. "'Something else is in there.' "'But what the hell is it?' Andre said. Mamu approached him. "'We're not finished yet, gentlemen.' We must continue to displace the stones. Aw, oh, shit, Andre said. Man, when are you going to let us go? Soon. Come now. What happened to the dude dressed in black, Andre asked. He cut out of here with the quickness. I ain't never seen nobody move that fast. Mamu gave them another of his strange smiles. My employer will be returning soon. It took all the Junior's courage for him to drag himself forward. His stomach was in knots. They spent another hour watching Mamu blow up stones, and then coming behind him to load the junk on the buckets. Finally, Mamu said he felt cool air coming from inside the cave, a sign that they were almost done, and ordered them to pick up the sledgehammers and start whacking away. Swinging the hammer at the rocks, Junior's arms felt as if they were ready to fall off. He could not wait to get home and go to bed. In spite of the good money he was going to earn, he didn't ever want to do something like this again. They chiseled open a good-sized doorway in the cave. Using the shovels, they cleared away the crumbled stones. Mamu actually helped him this time. A terrible smell drifted from inside the cavern. An old, rotten stench. Junior couldn't see what was in there because it was dark and he wasn't sure he wanted to know what lay within. He only wanted to get his money and go home. At last, Mamu sat down his shovel. He dug his hand into the pocket of his slacks and retrieved the money clip. Your work is done, gentlemen, Mamu said. He peeled off several crisp bills. He handed Andre a portion, then gave Junior his share. You're free to go. I must impress something upon you before you leave us, a deep voice said. And Junior jumped as if someone had thrown water in his face. The man in black was suddenly beside them. He was the one who had spoken. Junior's legs were watery. How had this man gotten there so quickly without making a sound? It ain't natural, Junior thought. This man, I don't know who he is. What he does ain't natural. The thought came to him, unbidden that maybe the man in black wasn't a man at all. "'You must not tell anyone in town what you've done this night,' the man said. "'Give me your word that you will keep it secret.' Andre looked at the bills, then stuffed them into his pocket. His voice was shaky. "Uh, "'All right. I, I, I ain't saying nothing.' "'Me neither,' Junior said. He shook his head adamantly. "'Nothing.' The guy in black nodded. You may go. He flowed past them and slipped inside the cave, as swiftly as a shadow. Mamou winked at them, then picked up the lamp that lay on the ground. He switched it on and entered the cavern's dark mouth. Andre looked at Junior. Cuz, what the fuck is happening? I, I don't know. I ain't sure I want to know. I want to go home. Andre's eyes narrowed. These cats is up to no good, man. Come on. Where are you going? I want to look inside and see what they're doing. Andre, get back here. Junior grabbed his shoulder. Andre brushed away his hand. I only want to take a quick peek. I done bust my ass helping these cats. I want to know what they're doing. Junior groaned. His legs trembled, but he followed Andre. Both of them moved quietly and lowered their heads as they stepped underneath the jagged ridge of the entrance. It was dark inside, and the awful smell made Junior want to vomit. He covered his mouth with his shirt. Mamou was ahead of them, out of sight, around a corner. The backsplash of his lamp gave them a little light as they picked their way forward. Junior and Andre moved forward in step with one another. They reached the corner of the cavern tunnel. Junior heard Mamu and the other guy speaking in hushed tones. Andre put his fingers to his lips. He and Junior leaned forward and peeked around the corner. What they saw made them drop to the ground in stupefied shock. Human skeletons, dozens of them, piled one atop the other across the ground. Many of the corpses were swaddled in old rags. Junior's stomach flip-flopped. He vomited. Through his teary eyes, he saw the guy in black and Mamu, standing at the far end of the massed skeletons. They saw him. Get out of here, the man in black said, his voice like thunder. He pointed in Junior's direction, and Junior felt himself lifted in the air by an unseen power. He was flung against the wall with tremendous force, the breath whooshing out of his lungs, pain cracking across his back. He collapsed on a warm cushion underneath him and realized that his cushion was actually Andre. Weak and dazed but filled with a terror that he had never known, Junior grabbed Andre by the scruff of his neck. Andre got his legs under him and the two of them broke out of there. They ran all the way to Andre's car. Kyle was relieved when the two men fled. He regretted that it had been necessary to use force against him. But he was close to achieving his goal and would allow nothing to impede his progress. Mahmoud bowed his head. I selected our laborers poorly. I apologize, Monsieur. I accept your apology. Let us hope the men remember their vows to remain silent about what they witnessed. Perhaps their fear will ensure obedience. Kyle, too, had been surprised to discover so many fire-blackened corpses. From mother's tale of his father's demise, he had known that his father recruited a number of vampiric warriors, but he had not expected to find so many. He had counted 21 bodies. How powerful his father must have been to command such a horde to follow him on his murderous mission. The air in the cavern was thick with stale, pent-up air and latent energy. Kyle sensed his father's presence. It was like a coolness in the ether. It raised the hairs at the nape of Kyle's neck. He shivered with the thrill of anticipation. He hated that Mother had lied to him for so long about his father, but he was grateful that when she finally revealed the truth, she had spared no details. Mother had given him the precise location of this cave, though she had never even seen it with her own eyes. Indeed, Mother had told him everything, except for where he would find his father sleeping within the earthen tomb. She rightfully expected that Kyle would be able to discover his father's resting place on his own. When we're finished tonight, I would like for you to return here and dispose of the bodies. Kyle swept his arm across a heap of fallen vampires. Burn them to ashes and bury them. I don't wish to leave behind any evidence. It will be done. Deeper in the tunnel, Kyle saw symbols engraved on the walls. He moved closer. The symbols were a language that Kyle could not interpret. Can you read this? He said to Mamu. Mamu was fluent in nine languages. Mamu brought the lamp closer. The words had been chiseled into the rock. I'm sorry, Mamu said. It's an African tongue, I believe, but I cannot decipher the meaning. I can research it. He lies here. Kyle tapped his boot on the ground beneath the inscription. I sense it. My father lies here. Kyle dropped to his knees. He traced his fingertips across the smooth, cool cavern floor. I feel him. Underneath us, Kyle said in a trembling voice. Oh, the power. He plunged his hands into the earth. Mamu set down the lamp and came forward to help him. But Kyle shoved him aside. I will do this alone. I've waited all my life for this moment. He tore great plugs of dirt out of the ground. He worked with machine-like speed. Dust plumed through the air, coated his face and his hands, but he did not slow. After he had dug about three feet beneath the surface, he touched something. Cloth. Cotton overalls. He furiously ripped away chunks of earth. Dusty, dark skin became visible. Cool to the touch. Kyle heard somebody shouting. He initially thought it was Mamu, but it was him. He cried, I'm here, father, in a delirious chant. He uncovered large hands, long arms, a wide torso, broad shoulders, and then a face. Even though his father's face was slack and crusted with dirt, the resemblance to his own features was clear. My father. Tears tracked down Kyle's cheeks but his father's eyes did not open. He continued to float in the depths of sleep. Kyle dug away more dirt, freed his father's legs. Extraordinary, Mamu whispered. He is so well preserved as if he has only slept a day. Help me, Mamu. Kyle gently hooked his hands under his father's armpits. Lift his legs. Together, they removed Diallo from the grave. Kyle carefully cradled his father's head in his arms. He felt as if he might explode from the impact of the emotion that rushed through him. He was crying, trembling. He rested his fingers against Diallo's neck. The flesh was cool, but there came, slowly, the throb of a pulse. He is alive, Kyle said. All widened Mamu's eyes. I will help you transport him inside, monsieur. I will do it myself. Kyle placed his arm under his father's back, then slid his other arm in the bend at the back of Diallo's knees. His father was enormous. He had to be at least seven feet tall and weighed well over 200 pounds. Nonetheless, Kyle carried him. Weeping, Kyle carried him all by himself towards the house. Towards a new life. 916-633-1537, 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook, uh, leave a review on Podchaser, um, then copy and paste that in the Apple Podcasts, and then copy and paste that into good pods. I'm serious, y'all. Like, do that. Like It doesn't take but a few seconds to leave a review for a show that you enjoy. And leaving a review helps other people see how dope I am. Because I can say that I'm dope. I can say it all day long. I'm dope, I'm dope, I'm dope, I'm dope. I can say it over and over again. But until somebody hears it from a friend or a family member or something like that, they may not believe it. So help me talk my shit. Leave a review. I really do appreciate them. I don't read them on the show because I don't really have place a place in this show to stop and read reviews. I don't really have a place in this show to stop and give thanks, but I'm thankful to each and every one of y'all. I'm thankful to the Patreon members. I'm thankful to the people who leave voicemails. I'm thankful to the people who leave reviews. I'm thankful to the people who leave emails. I've gotten all of them, I've read each and every one of them. I'm thankful to my listeners, my day ones. I'm thankful I am. I just need y'all to do more. Thank y'all so much for listening. I greatly do appreciate it. Oh, shit, wait, no, money talk. You can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast. You can also donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast. And on Good Pods, you can go to our tip jar and lose some money. Uh, all money goes towards books for a Ratchet Book Club and movies for hindsight. That's it. Thank y'all so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. The intro and outro to Ratchet Book Club